Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So... Wouldn't it be great if all couples could focus on sexual pleasure instead of being stuck in the social constructs, myths, and stereotypes of what married sex life is supposed to look like? Well, on today's show, we're going to be talking about how to get the monotony out of monogamy. From changing sex habits and reversing scripted sex patterns, to adding sexy playfulness to increase responsive desire, to simply adding sex talk into your daily activities. Dr. Megan shares a lot of her helpful tips to add spice back into your sex life and enjoy hot monogamy together. That's a lot of words there. It's it's going to be a great show. uh But before we bring Megan on, we're going to take a moment to remind everybody about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex and nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. So does today's show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we are so excited to welcome back today's special guest. Yeah, sex and relationship expert Dr. Megan Fleming is a sex therapist in the New York City area. She helps couples and individuals to get their relationships back on track. Dr. Megan Fleming, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be here with us today. Oh, always love being here with you guys. Yeah, so much fun talking with you. You have so much information that we love to share with our listeners. Let's just start quickly by you reminding us about your practice, your programs, and the books that you've written. Sure. So um, while I'm a clinical psychologist, I've been practicing in New York City for the last 20 years, and I really am passionate about helping couples um, sort of live their best life, which, you know, my website's Great Life, Great Sex, because I'm a firm believer that and everybody defines their own, everybody's their own expert, but that the value of great sex and not as an act, but that sense of eroticism, that which keeps us feeling fully alive and connected to our essence. And so um, I really think that so many couples get over time, specifically in long-term committed relationships, sort of asleep at the switch. Um, and really, you know, it. I think today monogamy is getting a bad rap in some ways, like (laughs) vanilla. And I'm like here to say that it's hot monogamy and why should we settle for anything less? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things is I have a free nine day pleasure challenge. What I love about that is I think eroticism starts with prioritizing pleasure and that's not always just sexual and that taking time for pleasure doesn't have to equal a lot of time or spending money. So to sign up for my nine-day pleasure challenge, you can go to my Instagram, Dr. 
Fleming, F-L-E-M-I-N-G. Um, and my link tree will bring you to my nine day pleasure challenge as well as again i have monthly pleasure picks and i have um a program called rekindle your desire which i think is incredibly important we'll talk more about it that it's not uncommon in a committed relationship there's desire discrepancy and that one of the challenges is you know how do we get the lower desire sexual partner to come to a place of their own wanting because we'll talk more about it but that importantly they don't want to be the gatekeepers but they tend to be mm -hmm. and so helping them find pathways that um allow them to be open and receptive to what's possible is a big part of i think what helps couples get to that place of really hot monogamy mm -hmm. very cool mm -hmm. well, we're going to get into a lot more of that a little bit later on but i love you know one of your passions and inspirations is to be you know the happiest couple i actually live that myself the license plate on my car says be happy too which is trying to get people to just be happy in life why is that so happy for you well because i really think we don't have enough role models for relationships that not only um in terms of companionship but also eroticism right like there's just an energy a sense of i always remember that um scene in the film harry met sally when she's in this case, faking the orgasm, but the woman next to her in the diner is like, I want what she's having. Right. Like, I think that is a thing to go out into life and just live your life right. really sort of loud and proud from that place of energetically enjoying your life. And in my, you know, my case, the role of my, I'm 20 years married to my husband. Um, and just really being a role model of like, oh, wow, that's possible. I think so often people don't even have an idea that 20 plus years into a relationship, a committed relationship, that it can still be hot, right? Mm -hmm. That it can still be sensual and sexual. Mm -hmm. And so when people get to experience that, like sometimes our doorman will say like, oh my God, you guys look like you're in high school, uh. right? Like, and I take that as a compliment, right? Because, you know, there's something to be said sometimes about not being able to keep your hands off your partner and of obviously being appropriate in the places that you do that and not, you know, in that case around children. But, um, I really just feel like it would be inspiring if people had more opportunities to get to know couples that are really enjoying their relationship and their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Like when you go to a party and you see the, the people who hang together with their couple, not like the girls on one side of the room and the guys on the other side of the room, that's the couple that we tend to migrate to because they probably have that type of relationship where they're holding hands at the party, they're chatting, they're going around the party as a couple, not individuals. And that's kind of what we do as well. We love that. You know, Megan, I love the fact that, um, you know, you talk about and you write about um, how much you are still in love with your husband, how you still have that passion and that desire. But I have to think on a small note here that it's because he's another David. Us Davids <laughs> have this special thing going on out there. And, um, you know, maybe. So you're going to take credit for that now. Uh, my parents, they named me David. <laughs> yeah, funny. there might be something about the David. I mean, um <laughs> But I think it really has to do with the commitment of both partners, right. right? That what I often see is almost like a stay and quit mindset, right? Like people are not going to get divorced for a multitude of reasons, often the kids, religious reasons, financially. But it's like, and I hope especially post-COVID where I think the 24-7 many couples have had to face 
it's like been a wake up call. And, you know, we get to choose the relationships we want to be in and we have to invest in them. Like people don't want to put effort into relationships, but the reality is, you know, work isn't a dirty word any more than sex is. And I think recognizing you reap the rewards of the effort and the work that we put into our relationships. Absolutely. So let's back up a little bit to when relationships and, and partnerships start and explain what happens when, you know, that we start with that honeymoon phase and then it sort of like dies out and what happens next? Well, you know, so to your point, the beginning phase, the romantic love, it's the dopamine, it's the oxytocin. We sort of call it the drug or love cocktail. And about a year and a half, two years, it's sort of meant to end. And some people spend a lifetime looking for that kind of limerence um, and that kind of intensity. And the reality is, sure, you're going to have that intensity, but you're not going to have the same kind and quality of intimacy. Um, because what happens next, and it's not a sexy word, is mature love, right? Which is, you know, when we have the intimacy and the connection and the capacity. I mean, we've put couples that have been together 40, 50 years into an MRI and their brains can light up just like an, a couple that is in that romantic love phase. And so, again, not that it's like that every time, but I think enough people don't even know that that's possible. And I think when we don't have hope and things get tough, we get hopeless and we stop putting in the energy. Um, Because the reality is when you first come to meet your partner, think about it. What am I going to wear? Where are we going to go? Like you put a lot of time and energy into it. You get all excited about it. But it doesn't feel like work, right? Because the dopamine's on board. Um, But I think it's like our culture is like the grass is greener on the other side. I'm like, no, it's where you water it. Mm -hmm. Like in the beginning, you're watering the grass. And I'm encouraging couples throughout the lifespan of their relationship to be watering the grass. Now, for a lot of couples after that honeymoon, after the honeymoon phase is over, which is kind of the term that we hear all the time, uh, slowly but surely, their sex life or their their relationship drifts apart because they are expecting that automatic attachment, that automatic attraction to keep going, and they they don't kick in the work or they don't even realize that it's happening. So then a lot of couples fall into some frustration. Talk about that phase. Sure. Well, first of all, I want to normalize that it's normal, right? And to not, you're not alone, I guess I sort of want to say in it. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's sort of, there's nothing like feeling wanted and desired. And that's an energy, it's a look in the eye that we get from our partners. And so it's kind of like, you know, when your partner comes home from a long day of work, can you like look up and light up, right? Like, I think there are a lot of behaviors we can engage in that can give us that feedback loop that's like, oh, yes, I want you and you want me, right? That we really have to put our day-to-day in some ways aside or prioritize those moments where we really are um, connecting with our partner in a way that we're feeling wanted and desired Mm -hmm. and appreciated, to be honest. Yeah, and that uh, that takes the effort. Like you said, you actually have to do something. It doesn't happen automatically anymore after the honeymoon phase is over. And that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, it's, you know, I think it's this uh, opportunity for creative expression. Uh, you know, Esther Perel often talks about, you know, well, we all, as sex therapists say, the biggest sex organs are mind, right? But she would sort of say there's no limit to the erotic imagination. Mm-hmm. And I think that, we often forget that we get focused on sex as an act or like penis and vagina or penetrative sex. And we forget 
it's not about turning yourself on for sex. It's about simmering, right? In my mind, it's about living a turned on and, and life. Um, and so I think even helping individuals and couples recognize that we can put energy and effort into living that turned on life. And we definitely are going to reap those rewards. Yeah, absolutely. And I know a lot of people think that this is like a normal trend that you actually have less and less sex as your relationship gets older and older. Or as you get older, yeah. And as you age. But that's not necessarily true, is it? No, it's definitely not necessarily true. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of Betty Dodson who just passed this year uh, at 90. And if there's anybody who taught me that we can be sexual throughout our lifespan, it's definitely Betty. Um, and other couples like, you know, I mean, why do we think STDs are on the rise in independent living and homes? Because guess what? The people you think are least likely having sex are having a lot of sex. And so, um, you know, and, and again, sex is far more than penetration. And, um, I think it's just important to recognize, you know, there's such ageism in our culture, you know, that we don't realize that throughout our lifespan, we can absolutely be sexual. Right. And we just have to ignore all those cues out there that are telling us that we're old because then we start believing them and we feel old and we feel that we shouldn't maybe be enjoying these things. So let's just forget what it's coming from the outside and just think about what's coming from the inside. But our sex life has never been greater. I mean, when we turned 50, our sex life, we talk about it all the time, um, took off and it was like going into another planet Mm -hmm. um, because, um, first of all, we were empty nesters. Number two, um, we were in a new relationship, right? And I'm not saying people should, you know, break up their relationship to start another one, but you can reinvent yourselves as you get older. And, and we'll talk a little bit later about role playing and stuff that you can do so you don't get stuck in that same old, same old. But there's so many of my friends, especially baseball buddies, that just, all right, I'm getting older. I've been married 25 years. We're not having sex. Well, that's the way it's going to be because that's the way it's. Society says it's supposed to be. Right. Oh, that is such nails to the chalkboard to me. Just like, you know, I often hear women say, you know, if I never had sex another day in my life, I'm okay with that. And I'm like, "Eh." like, Mm -hmm. either you've never Mm -hmm. known full pleasure, right? Like, there's something going on there, as far as I'm concerned, right? That that is okay for you, or you think, and again, this goes back to role models. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't even believe it. I mean, I've worked with so many couples um, where sometimes it's, an event, um, you know, sort of a, you know, eye-opening wake-up event that reminds them, like, and sometimes because of anxiety, that it's like, oh, my God, I forgot. Like, people forget what drew you to your partner in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be really proactive and, um, again, watering the grass of our relationship, you know, not taking it for granted, as so many people do, so that we are, you know, creating the conditions for eroticism. And as I said, I think there just aren't role models for it. So people just think, eh, this is just what happens, mm-hmm. right? And that to me is the saddest part. And you know, Megan, um, our show's been on the air for four years now. Um, we've had amazing guests. We've had like 400 guests now. We're coming up on our 300th episode. We have a million listeners. And the success of our show is because we bring experts like you on to talk to people who don't know what they don't know. And there's so much that people don't know about sexually that as, as if, they're, if they're open to listening and open to talking to their partner about it, which we'll talk about a little bit later, the, the, it's limitless in terms of mm-hmm. what you can do in your relationship. And the other thing I was just thinking when you mentioned role model is because, you know, in our generation anyways, our parents were not really 
role models for sex. Um, even David jokes with his parents and you know says, well, you must have had some good sex last night. And his dad says, what? Sex? No, that's not happening. So uh, we need more people who could open and talk about it. So we kind of joke with our kids. So we're hoping that we're passing on to the next generation and maybe some other people out there are listening who might also. But you need intergenerational talk about sex and not the sex talk, but making it like normal, normalizing the fact that we do have sex even though we're my, old. I talk to my boys about sex all the time. No, we I have know. a good relationship, yeah, yeah. but it's not, it's not normal with, amongst our friends that they would have that open conversation. Right, but between generations where a lot of kids are afraid to mention it in front of their, their parents or talk that mm-hmm. they had a good time with their partner the night before and so i i hope that that's going to change i 100 percent agree and even exploring their sexuality and um you know just yesterday was bisexual you know sort of day, like recognizing that you know your sexual expression and how you identify in and of itself can change over your lifespan and right. i think we as a culture generally are more open and receptive, I think, as I heard myself say that, depends in part where you live, I won't, you know, um, and and the specific cultural influences. But I I really think there's opportunities to own your own sexual identity and expression in a way that we really never had before. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's not ubiquitous and it's not everywhere, but that as, as a human being, we can find those spaces, those safe places to express ourselves. And especially with online communities, right? You can absolutely find safe places to explore your sexuality, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Now, some things that um, we talk about sometimes is what we realize that a lot of our listeners don't understand the difference between how men and how women um, become aroused. Um, like, for example, men are very spontaneous and women are, are responsive. How could they use that information and apply that to themselves, their couple? I mean, my expression is that um, men are like microwaves and women are like crockpots. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> the reality is we have to recognize, you know, and this is sort of evidence-based, that women take longer to get aroused. You know, we sort of say about three times longer. So, A... I think we as w- women um, or global owners have the opportunity to say, you know, not just expecting our partner to turn ourselves on, you know, that how do I, you know, get myself in the right headspace? I might do some erotic reading. I might, uh, you know, take a shower and dress up in like sort of my favorite lingerie. Like we, we have, all, it's important to realize we have ways of turning ourselves on and off as much as our partner does. Mm-hmm. And so, owning that part and really creating the opportunities um, to, you know, sort of plant the seeds of eroticism in many ways Um, and learning your partner's turn-ons and realizing that over time that those might change. You know, my expression is like, you know, most couples fall into scripted sex. You know, it becomes very predictable and often sex not worth having. And my feeling is like, we want to expand that sexual repertoire. I'm like, I want you to have the Greek diner menu, right? Like, what are our appetizers? What are our mains? What are our desserts? And that in any given experience, we may not want or have the time or energy, right, for a full, you know, a full meal, but that we can really play with this experience of like, sometimes I'm in the mood to give, sometimes I'm in the mood to receive, sometimes I might be open for, say, mutual masturbation, like really opening the dialogue. But there's so many ways to give and receive pleasure 
and that it doesn't always equal or mean necessarily penetrative sex. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, you're talking about the sexual menu and we just did a show on it with Dr. Sarah and um, Carol and I. I have, love her, by the way. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. She's amazing. <laughs> and we um, we've started making a sexual menu. So we have our date night every once a week and um, we each put an appetizer on it. We put a main course on it. We put a dessert on it. And we go through the um, the whole evening, the actually, whole evening yeah. of talking about it, about doing it, about replaying it. And the menu gets bigger and bigger each week. And it forces us to go out to different places to find new things to put on the menu so we don't get into that same old, same old. And, you know, people out there are saying, you guys are swingers. You know, you fuck everybody. You're at all these parties. You're at hedonism. You're at desire. Like, what more do you need in your life? You know, we need great sex together. That's what keeps and us variety, together. And variety yes. keeps mm-hmm. us going. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's what I said. You know, when we turn 50, we, we've been swingers for 15 years. Um, we have great sex, just the two of us. We don't have to go out and swing with other people. And that's why we're talking about this monogamous, um, hot monogamy, because you can have great sex, just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important, as you're saying, especially as you're you know, expanding your repertoire menu, and for some people that includes other partners, right, in the role of consensual non-monogamy or swinging or polyamory. But the point being is it's, you know, you got to keep at the heart of it, right, the erotic connection, tension, playfulness, exploration, you know, between the both of you. And I think that is really what creates the foundation and the connection that allows in so many ways people to have, you know, the successful different kinds of relationships, right? The different constellations, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like this week um, for our um, date night, um, we went out and did some lingerie shopping. That was part of our date night. That was part of the menu. And like you're saying, it doesn't have to be cock and pussy. It's about spending time together. It's titillating. We went into the changing room together. We took a couple of pictures. Carol tried some stuff on. We got home and she did a little um, um, well, fashion show. Yeah, kind of like that. And that's what started our, our sexy evening. Because that was the appetizer that David chose for that evening. Right. And so that's what we did. And I love hearing that, you know, here you guys have this erotic connection. And just, you know, recently from hearing Dr. Sarah Nazaras that, you know, we can create these menus and having fun with it mm-hmm. and playing with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as with anything, like, you know, one of you might have a food allergy, right? One of you might right. have. Um, For me, that's <laughs> anal sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's like my traffic light system, like red, light, green, right? right. Some things that are going to be off the menu, right? Yeah. And that's okay. Yes, that but there's okay. also the sense of like, you know, and when I would like to try your appetizer and when, you know what, not for now. Right. right? And let's right. look at that. Maybe um, another time. But that playfulness and uh-huh. that openness and uh-huh. that exploration and the willingness to be vulnerable, to share what you want on your menu. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when a couple's come together, what we see is, you know, what you both have done individually and you come together and what you both enjoy together is on the menu. But anything you've tried that doesn't necessarily work well for the other tends to fall off the menu. Right. Yes. And when I say that, it's usually a one-time trial. That could be a sex toy. That could be role play. It could be a threesome. And the point is, if it generally doesn't go well, it's like, whoa, I'm never touching that again. Versus really understanding and processing, you know, maybe like it was too big of a step or, you know, my expression is try, try again. Right. I mean, obviously, if it's a red light and something's uncomfortable or painful or like 
you know, there's hard stops. Mm -hmm. But if it's in that yellow light zone, you know, the try, try again is the first time we try anything. We're spectating. We're observing. What do I think? What does my partner think? We're we're in our heads, right? We're not really in the experience. And so giving ourselves that opportunity to try things on, if we tried it once, I sort of say with my, me and my husband, when we were dating, we tried on a role play and I was freaked out because he was so good at it. I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> I'm not into strangers. That's not my thing. Right? Like, <laughs> and so, you know, I think it was 10 years before we were visited that one because I was just like, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. We get freaked out by something right. and, and it becomes a no-go zone. Yeah. Well, you know, this week we tried, every week we're, we're trying to put in a new sex position and this week we tried... Um, the cowboy, which is the guy straddling the girl, and my cock goes into her pussy. And it wasn't working very well. Um, I wasn't able to stay super hard. We had good lube. And then we realized the issue was the dog was lying on the bed. <laughs> Get the freaking dog off the and bed. she wouldn't leave. So we're going to revisit that we, next week. We laughed. We said, okay, she's just lying there. She's quiet for the moment. Okay, let's leave that. Let's do something else. So we went really back funny. to a little same old, same old because uh, the was, dog was definitely a cock blocker. Right, exactly. I just but those important things to notice, right? Yeah. Those kinds of conditions, right? right? Like, you know, I mean, I hear from couples a lot, pets. It's not uncommon. First of all, it's like hard because either they're in bed with you or if you try to take them out of the bed and they're scratching on the yes, door or yes. they're barking yes, or whining. Exactly. Like kind of a bit of a buzzkill. So <laughs> I think we really do have to think about our environment, whether it's room temperature, whether it's like who's in earshot, right. um, you know, aromatherapy. There's so many ways I think we can work with our environment to create conditions that really are facilitation for arousal and turn on. Mm-hmm. And actually we were, we were uh, dog sitting the dog. It's actually our ex's dog that we co-parent. So uh, we said if this was our dog, he, she would not be allowed on the bed ever. But we just said, okay, she's quiet now. Let's leave her there. It was, it was fine. We, we worked around it. It was okay in the end. That was really a lot of fun. Uh, just to hang on a second now, we just need to do a quick shout out to one of our show sponsors. We'll be right back. This is Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're having a great discussion with sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. Stay right there. All right. We're going to take a minute to talk about topless travel. So if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with topless travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica and Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless travel needs to be your number one choice. Their trips and events are all about the people and the sexy fun experiences. So let's shout out to all the sexy host couples, including Chelsea and Mark. They're there to ensure that you have a wonderful vacation. Yep, and uh, you'll find us on many of the topless travel trips, but listen up. The one we're really looking forward to is their sexy silver full takeover at Desire Pearl in Cancun. Uh, from October 16th to 23rd in 2022. We're going to be there broadcasting live and the rooms are selling quickly. So book now. Come and join us for the week. We would love to meet you. And for those of you who are booking your room before October 31st, there's a special deal being offered right now. And for more information about this trip or any of their other events, go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book your sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. All right. We're back. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're having an amazing discussion with sex and relationship expert Dr. Megan Fleming. Now let's get back into what options couples have to increase their intimacy. So why don't we start with some of the things that people forget 
well, that all relationships need the effort. So a lot of things that you talked about earlier, like making it playful doesn't feel like effort, but it really is effort because it's doing something. It's not happening automatically. So many people think that work. great sex should happen automatically. Relationships it be, are hard work. Yes, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about that hard work effort. that shouldn't be hard work, but it, it is for some people. Well, I mean, I always sort of say the things we put effort into are the things we can count on, right? That they have the sustainability and that, you know, the things that come easy, honestly, sometimes we just mistrust them. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. can I count on this? Why is this happening? Um, and so I think it really, as I said earlier, it's like, why is it culturally the idea of effort and work? Is it like we're not supposed to or it's a bad thing? And I'm like, actually, it's an amazing thing because you know just like great sex is a lot about angles it's also about skills and so is relationships right and we're not taught relationship skills you know growing up or in college or in education um and so learning like the nature of relationship is sort of rupture and repair like it's not that we're not going to fight ever you know fighting and conflict is growth trying to happen it's more about how do we manage that and how do we come back into connection and creating a sense of safety so that we can really, I sort of say monogamy, it's like, this, you know, it's your, your relationship is your safety net. So you can go onto the tight high wire, right? And excite terrified, like, eh, what are we going to try? What are we going to do? You know, and, but we're both in it together and exploring something new, knowing that our relationship is a safety net. And, and, you know, again, I think helping people realize putting effort into your relationship is something that really pays off. Absolutely. Yeah, so, no, I agree 100%. So do you think that bad sex is better than no sex? Well, that's an interesting question. And I actually think it depends, right? Like I often say to clients, you know, initiating experience and helping your partner know that they're wanted and desired in and of itself is a great experience. And the reality is, I don't know, you know, we cannot guarantee how something's going to go. So like in this case, somebody who's performance anxiety, you know, may lose arousal or erection. You know, they don't want to disappoint their partner. They don't want to frustrate their partner. They generally lead toward avoidance. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes just initiating in and of itself is far better than not having experience at all. Mm -hmm. And when you say bad sex, you know, my words are like, you know, less than optimal, right? right? Like, it's not awful. (laughs) It's less than optimal. What can we learn from that? And that, you know, what makes it less than optimal? I think too often couples are focused, again, on penetrative sex and for men they can't command themselves to be aroused any more than they command themselves to be sleepy it's a reflex yeah and so in particular performance anxiety performance man they so want to please their partners like batter up the plate you know they choke and so i think the more we can realize when and if worst case you know in a sense worst case scenario it's not optimal like it's not awful like hands, mouth, sex toys. There's right. so many ways to give and receive pleasure. You know, it, it's really just recognizing it's about pleasure because I think people are too focused on orgasm and on performance, so to speak, versus on pleasure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. So before we get into a couple of ways of spicing up our sex lives, um, why is it that some couples get so disconnected that it takes time to bring them back together? How many hours do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> Short form. Um, or, that it, or maybe it takes a crisis to get them back together. Yeah. I think to your point, it's not uncommon. It can be a crisis that 
can help people get back together. But I also think the nature of relationships in some ways is what we consider polarization or the power struggle, right? That, um, you know, we sort of say that which drew you to your partner um, because they have qualities that probably you want to have more of. There are also other qualities that resonate generally with your childhood experience that if they didn't resonate, you wouldn't have picked that partner. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we call it pick, poke, or project. You tend to pull out in your partner the very childhood stuff that you need to be working on. And, you know, the thing that you most need from your partner is the hardest for them to give and vice versa. But you really have the capacity, in my mind, to help each other heal and to, you know, reclaim your own wholeness. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that's uh, hours of discussions, obviously. But in a, in a nutshell, that was uh, very well put. Thank you for that. All right. Options. Our show is all about spicing up your sex life and living happy, healthy and horny. Let's talk a little bit about some things that couples can do to spice up their sex life. Let's start with how important masturbation and even mutual masturbation is. Well, I think the greatest thing about masturbation or self-pleasuring is like, as I sort of said, how do you expect your partner to know what you don't know for yourself? Right. And so learning what gives you pleasure and I think educating yourself like, Oh my God. Yes. You know, there's so many amazing um, opportunities out there for women to explore and know and try on whether it's the way they're using their hand, different lubes, different sex toys and the different sex tech, you know, the more you're like, Oh my God, this is what gives me pleasure. In my experience, the more you're able to then communicate that to your partner. So, you know, owning your pleasure I want everybody to like own their pleasure, I think is sort of step one. And then how to communicate that to your partner. Um, and sometimes the role of mutual masturbation can be really helpful. You get to, first of all, it's hot. Generally, most people yeah. find it really incredibly hot to watch their partner turn themselves on. But also you get to sort of see their technique or you could put their hand on your hand or, you know, there's definitely ways to invite your partner into your experience. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, amazing opportunities through masturbation or mutual masturbation to explore and to learn about pleasuring yeah absolutely if, if i was able to bend over i'd love to help you suck my cock <laughs> that's that's david's dream one day he can suck his own cock but no, I, with you, with you, I get it i get it uh, so one time um i don't even remember which expert now talked about how partners can watch the other partner masturbate and learn their techniques, like you said earlier. Take notes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and they actually, actually suggested to take notes. But one time we did try that, and I love sucking cock, and I always tell David, I'm sucking cock for my pleasure. Okay, if, it, if you're liking it too, good on you, but this is for me. Uh, and I usually do not um, go to fruition or make um, make him orgasm with the just with the oral pleasure. So I like to just suck cock, suck cock, play a little bit. And I think one of the reasons is because I always feel is that I don't have the rhythm it takes to make him orgasm. So I don't even try to go there. I just am, am enjoying it. I know he's enjoying it and I just let it go and let it go. But after we, I took notes and saw his technique on how he actually finishes off, I started learning those techniques Hell myself. Yeah. So I not only give him that oral pleasure for me and for him that he's enjoying, but then I learned how to actually finish off with my, the, more of a hand move than a mouth move yeah. but um that was great and actually um we do that all the time we now we do yeah. for the first 12 13 years of our relationship i would never come when carol gave me a blowjob 
and now in the last year, I mean, we can do it either way. Yeah, and it's, either way. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And, I mean, Carol's also, um, I've learned how to massage her pussy and I can make her come just with my, a bit of lube and playing with her clit and a, a little finger. And I don't have to go down there with my tongue or, or even put um, a dildo or my cock into her pussy. So we've definitely learned that from watching each other masturbate, how the other person likes it. I love that. I mean, as you said, 10 plus years in, right? Mm -hmm. Right. How we can always be learning, growing, getting curious, expanding that repertoire. And to your point, like you get to observe, like, again, arousal mental and physical, but certainly from the physical side, you know, what is it about the technique? You know, the pressure, you know, the, you know, is it in the case of a man focused on the frenulum or direct literal or indirect literal stimulation, the more that we get to observe and see, we're like, oh, oh, I hadn't really thought of it right. that way. Exactly. And then we get to incorporate that, which I think is so fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And we can actually talk about it now because it wasn't even something I used to bring up. I used to always just say, well, I'm just doing it for me. So, um, but now we actually talk about it because now uh, we're the next stage where I can actually practice and do and, and try new things still because sometimes a stroke is firmer, sometimes the stroke is quicker. And I say, well, how, is, how does this feel? Even though it's not exactly the same thing, but now I'm just trying new things on them. And, and, and we have a... Um, um a sexual imbalance where I want more sex and Carol wants less. And some nights I'm just in the mood to come and she'll just sit there and watch me masturbate. She might touch her pussy a little bit, but we're not having sex. I'm playing with myself. She's getting turned on. I come and then we finish and we just snuggle in bed. And it's just a different way to have a nice couple sexual experience without, you know, um, wanting to have that fool in. Okay, let's right. fuck our brains out. Right. Right. Or the pressure of that, because, you know, you could be exhausted, tired. It's not a good time. And again, this is a different way of expanding the menu and the repertoire. Right. That, you know, sometimes I sort of say it's like a one way send, you know, mm -hmm. or like it's just receiving or mm -hmm. giving or even watching your partner give it themselves like they're, you know, just encouragement. You are. <laughs> what did yeah. you say? And just giving encouragement. Exactly. That helps sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just so many ways. Um, we can expand our menus. Right. All right. Let's get into fantasies. So we had Dr. Justin Lay Miller on our show um, earlier this year. He did a huge study on fantasies. Megan, how important is it for couples to have fantasies? And, and how do you talk to your partner about a fantasy that you're not sure they want to hear? Great question. And I love Justin and his work. Um, you know, I guess this is where I'm like, it depends on the bell curve distribution, right? And that... You know, sometimes the role of fantasy is it is your biggest number one turn on or like your top five of favorites. But the reality is fantasy doesn't necessarily equal you want to do it in reality, you know. Um, and sometimes it's personal. You know, we sort of say there's a difference between privacy and secrecy. You're allowed to have your own personal private fantasy that you may or may not want to share with your partner or your partner may or may not share with you. So I think, again, the vulnerability is in the leaning in and say, oh my God, I'd love to share this thing. It really turned me on to see whether or not it's something that turns you both on. Right. In which case you absolutely can have a ton of fun, even in ideas and fantasy, you may or may not choose to bring it to reality um, to explore together. But even just sometimes knowing that you both have an erotic life in and of itself can be hot. So, you know, when I say it depends, I think some people, it's just giving yourself the permission to explore your turn-ons, whether you're looking maybe at porn, doing erotic reading, you know, maybe you're thinking about themes around dominance or submission or, 
um, you know, just sort of, you know, authority dynamics or powerful. Like, there's so many different um, themes that come up in fantasy that I think you can explore. And sometimes you may already know, and sometimes you might be for the first time exploring it together and being like, I have no idea where this is going to go. Yeah. And that just sort of being like, let's just see. Right. And, and not feeling threatened by it because again, it's erotic imagination mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily equal you want to do it in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, it's not that easy to bring it up sometimes, especially if you feel that your fantasy is a type of kink or fetish that might not be accepted. So some people fear rejection. And what would you recommend for those kind of couples who have a hard time sharing the fantasy that they think might be rejected? I love this question. And I, it comes up in my clinical practice all the time. I often say it's helpful to you know, point to something outside of yourself. I read, I heard, you know, I read in Cosmo, I listened to the sexy lifestyle. You know, there's always some external context where they talked about something or shared something, or maybe it's an erotic story. And you're like, oh my God, I found that hot. What do you think? Because what's great about that is it, it didn't come from me. Right. I wasn't necessarily initially thinking <laughs> about it, but I heard, watched, saw, and oh, it spoke to me. I'm curious, does it speak to you? So it's a great way to bring it into the room, into the conversation that I think feels a little less vulnerable than saying, you know, this is my, this is my top turn on. Right. And especially when it's things that are maybe not accepted by the general culture that you're living in, uh, in some cultures that's being bisexual and other cultures that's being, uh, um, I don't know, animalistic. I don't even know what other things are, are where it's really super taboo. Uh, but it's, do you think it's a good thing to share with your partner, even if you're worried about it um, being rejected? I mean, that's a great question. And I guess, you know, my expression often is you're your own expert. Mm. And what is your internal compass telling you? Like, how important is it? Yeah. Do you have a gut sense of whether your partner's going to be open and receptive or not? You know, my other expression is you put a toe in the water, you don't jump into the deep end. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if you're really unsure about how it's going to be received, you give a smidge, right? Like <laughs> You give a little intro and get a sense of like, what's the reaction to this so that you feel in some ways less exposed and realizing again, we don't always share the same fantasies Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. That's Mm -hmm. completely fine. Mm -hmm. And even if we keep them in our head and use them while we're having sex with our partner, that's nowhere near cheating or anything. That's not, you're not like uh, being disrespectful to your partner if you don't share the fantasy and you're thinking about that fantasy while you're having sex. Well, and around that, I sort of think like, listen, the reality from my perspective is if you're in fantasy the whole time, your partner's not going to feel your presence and uh-huh. that might be problematic. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Yep. Yep. In, in my experience, but that you get distracted, the phone rings, the dog does whatever. And you're like, well, like for whatever reason, you have the intrusive thought you're taken out of that erotic space. Fantasy can be a great, you know, reset button, right. like bringing your mind back to an erotic space. So I definitely think fantasy has a role, but I think if your entire time you're in fantasy and you can't be present, but that, that is something to sort of explore and maybe speak to even a therapist about. <laughs> right, exactly. Cool. All right, let's move on to sex toys, one of your favorite topics, one of our favorite topics. Uh, we have more sex toys here than we know what to do with. <laughs> How do you bring sex toys into a couple's relationship? And is it okay for each partner to play with a sex toy on their own? Absolutely. I mean, I think that listen, we have our hands, we have our mouth, but the reality is sex toys and the tech can bring a level of intensity and stimulation and sensation that we, we can't duplicate, you know? Um, so 
and they, you know, I'm all about adding tools to our toolbox. So sex toys can be definitely amazing tools. Um, and as we talked about earlier, self-exploration, masturbation, pleasuring, the sex toys are an amazing way to discover for yourself. And I think for men, even male masturbators, you know, I don't think, you know, rings. even my yeah. own husband used to be like, I got my own hand. What else do I need? Um, <laughs> it's a different feel. But, <laughs> yeah. Vibrating like, cock you know, rings are amazing. Yeah, but he should talk about cock rings are, yeah. But like, mm-hmm. you know, like Love Honey has like glow motion and arc wave. There are like some amazing tech out there. It's got heat, right? It's got like, um, sensation, vibration that even my husband was like, whoa, like who knew? And so exactly. first of all, I know that in some ways sex toys can be an investment, you know, and maybe start at a lower end to see if you like the tech. But, um, you know, I just think that there's, there's novelty, you know, we don't yet know how it's going to go. There's some excitement. Um, and then it, just like anything, it can become your favorite and your go-to. Mm-hmm. But that, as you said earlier, David, I love it. We know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. Exactly. And so why would we not always be trying on new things to discover whether or not like, oh, I never knew that and I like and want that or like, yeah, yeah, no, it's not on my menu. Right. But that I think the sex toys really offer so many opportunities to expand our ways of giving and receiving pleasure. Yeah. And guys out there, a sex toy is not going to be in competition with you. Carol and I, we love bringing out sex toys, especially after I finished, I've come, she had an orgasm, but she's not quite finished yet. Um, and she's like, you know, why don't you just lie there, play with my tits, suck on my nipples, I'm going to take out my womanizer, I'm going to put it on my clit, and I'm going to have seven or eight more. Yeah, just pop off a few more and I'll be just fine with that. And we do that sometimes, not every single time, obviously, but we certainly love to do that as well. And, and that role of adding, like, again, I can sort of say, like, maybe globally true for women, but certainly pre perimenopausal menopausal women adding you know breast caressing kissing sucking along with clitoral stimulation sometimes adding more physical sensation stimulation mm-hmm. is what gets you know because of endocrine changes in the body it you know it definitely takes women longer to orgasm and then that menopause so yeah. to recognize it takes even longer and this is where move or taking more time or adding breast caressing stimulation with clitoral stim you know, is really important. And even sometimes... And I think that... Go ahead. And even sometimes you like sucking my cock. Even though it's soft, it still has your pussy juices. It Mm -hmm. has a bit of cum on it. Mm -hmm. And it gets you turned on. And, you know, it's about continuing that afterglow where, you know, the hardcore fuck me hard is done. And we're just in that, you know... Yeah, the safe space where we actually are loving each other more than anything. Exactly. The intimacy, and then we sort of say the resolution. And Dave, what I love most about what you're saying, and I think is amazing, so many men are not, in my experience, comfortable letting their partner uh, kiss them, touch them, stroke them, suck on them when they're not aroused, when they're in a flaccid state, right? Like, there's so much often sense of, like, they're supposed to already be rock hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, I think just always welcoming our partner's touch is an important a very important piece and mm-hmm. feeling comfortable and not having expectations about and what's supposed to happen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because very often his cock will not get hard again after he's just come, but you know, sometimes it does and that's okay. And if it doesn't, oh, it's but okay it feels too. So great. It's still yeah. tingly. The yeah. head is still, you know, very, um, sensitive. sensitive. Yeah. There's exactly. a good word. <laughs> and it just feels great. And there's no pressure to perform. Now it's just done enjoying. Yeah. It's like a, an erotic massage at the end right. of some great sex. Right. Absolutely. 
Wow, what a great segment. This is A Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and Dave. We're having an amazing discussion with sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, a shout out to another one of our show sponsors. So stay right there. Absolutely. You know we love talking about hedonism too in Jamaica. It's one of our favorite places to hang naked on the beach. And it is the sexiest place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like. And if you want more information about what's happening at Hedo 2, just go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, click on the Hedo link, and you can book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And of course, if you are looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, go to sdc.com. And if you use promo code 30314, you'll get your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. All righty. This is a Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So now let's get into something interesting, like the ways that you can add maybe playfulness into the bedroom and get into that hot monogamy. So Dr. Fleming, how does the brain process desire? How, how can you make it happen or, or what do you observe when it is happening, when you're feeling desirous? Well, I think when you ask that question, most of us think about spontaneous desire, coming to sex from that place of wanting. We call it horniness. We call it limerence. Um, you know, there's that physical like pull. It's really sort of an endocrine piece. And I think that that's most people's idea about desire. But I think it's important that we realize there's two equally valid pathways. The other is responsive desire. And I think for people in long-term committed relationships, it's important they really know about this because what that looks like is you initiate and your partner's like first respond, no. <laughs> like it's like a definite a automatic and reflexive no. And I sort of say, you know, ask yourself, is there one small thing you can say yes to? Because what we know is through the body, often starting with a back massage, through through touch, stroking the hair, it's like, oh, oh, that feels good. That feels nice. And when something feels good in the body and it gets turned on, the desire kicks in. And so I think, and Suzanne Iacenza has this book on sexual narratives, but she talks a lot about this. We don't always have to come to sex from a place of wanting. And I think that's where most couples get tripped up is that they think that they're both supposed to be coming from spontaneous desire. And I can tell you again, doing this 20 years, that's hardly ever the case. It's, it, unless it's that romantic phase in the beginning, you know, because both people have the dopamine circuits going. Um, but that in longer term committed relationships, generally one partner more than the other is the initiator, right? They're already sort of feeling it. And so again, it's creating the right conditions this is from the work of Rosemary Bassan, open and receptive, a willingness that we know that, again, through the body and arousal, that desire can definitely kick in. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, before we get into the kinds of playfulness that can help with arousal and, and, and bring on that hot monogamy, I want to ask a very simple, and that's not going to be a simple question, a very <laughs> complicated question. And it is, if both partners want to experience a threesome, are they still monogamous? I actually love this question. And, you know, it's interesting. There's so many definitions of monogamy. Some people would say it's married to one person. Some people would say it's sexually exclusive one with one person. You know, so definitions, as we all know, are changing all the time. Some people might say that would fall under consensual non-monogamy. But the idea, to your point, is like when both partners are consensually choosing something, it's a part of their marital, in a sense, contract, right? Like, that is the most important thing because I think where couples get into trouble 
is when they feel blindsided or there's something that hasn't been actively discussed. Like when we think about fidelity, we should be constantly, you know, just like our sexual menu, be exploring, are we both on the same page? Do we mean the same thing by that? But if you both are on the same page and want the same thing, then, you know, that is a committed monogamous relationship in my mind. Right. And especially if your goal of the uh, threesome is to strengthen your couple, to practice your good communication skills and and to watch each other and enjoy, that is connecting together with your partner, not disconnecting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's and cool. but that, you know, it, it works absolutely and is an amazing uh, turn on and facilitator for communication and heightened experiences for some couples. And not for others. It goes back to what I said again. Sometimes the fantasy, we all know, talk about Justin Lee Miller, right? One of the top fantasies, of course, is a threesome. That being said, put the toe in the water, you know, make out with somebody, you know, flirt, bring them home. But I would not necessarily jump into the pool and have sex unless you know through putting your toe in the water that it really is a turn on in real life and not just in fantasy. Right. And of course, you can share that fantasy and do a role play that there is a third person in bed with you. What is she doing? How is she touching you? Uh, What are you enjoying now? And playing it out like the role play as if someone was there and see how that feels first. Absolutely. And that, you know, can be incredibly hot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now we're going to talk about some fun things, because one of the things you mentioned is that we don't have enough fun having sex with our partners. It's a lot more, it's it's like considered work instead of fun. So if we can make it more playful when we're having um, sex or just sexy time, what are the kind of things we can do to be playful in bed? Well, I think it starts even before we get into bed, right? Like, how do you sort of set up the playful text or, you know, they get home from work and... You know, you might be sort of saying what you've got on or you don't have on underneath what you're wearing. Like, I think, again, arouse both mental and physical. So, you know, really focusing on the mental and the anticipation and the flirtation and the building of arousal. I think it starts long before we enter the bedroom. If hypothetically, that's where you choose to be having mm-hmm. your experience. Because it could be the kitchen or any other room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it starts with that. We, but call that, that. we call that all day foreplay. I love the all day foreplay, right? Like that's the simmering, right? I think that's fantastic. And I think not enough couples see, recognize, get the value of that. Um, because you're already coming to, uh, <laughs> to the situation from, you know, not a cold start, right? There's momentum. This is a law of physics, right? That, you know, you don't have to put less energy because there's already momentum on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what adds to the fun in the play. And then part of it could be the banter, what I want to do to you tonight or this afternoon or what I'd love for you to do with me or, you know, you can already start to incorporate some of the, you know, anticipation. And then I often say you guys have um, that waterproof, you know, sheet. Nobody wants to be in a wet spot. Right. Right. Like to me, that represents symbolically we're putting this on the bed. This is now our play space. Mm -hmm. Right. What is the experience we'd like to have? Like. I think it's like a ritual in some ways yeah. that, you know, putting down, say, that blanket sort of represents right. we're, we're moving our headspace into sexy time. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, we, we use that all the time as well for that. Like we have sex all around the house. So if we put down the blanket in front of the fireplace, then we know that's where we're going to have sex. I and- spend all day putting the blanket all over the house <laughs> just so Carol knows when she's ready, it's good to go. Yeah, I know. 
Um, but <laughs> it is fun to put the blanket Even in, have it in the car. a specific place and you have to find where he's put it. And that's where we're going to be having sex next. That's kind of fun, too. You know, and I guess part of me would be like, and then you move it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go there. Exactly. It's a, it's a no. It's not a no, but it's like let's try it over here instead. <laughs> right? Yeah, like I mean, the whole point is playful, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, where's it going to be? You want it there? I want it. Like, I don't know. Like, the whole point is you can really make it playful. Exactly. Yeah. One of the fun things was, um, which we do sometimes, is we we kind of put on like a sexy role play and some most of the time I can't even keep a straight face and I do like a sexy walk on my hands and knees and coming close to him and I laugh at that while I'm doing it but because it's about having fun, it's, about exactly. having fun. it's not exactly. I, I can't be naturally sexy like that but I do I do try and then I burst out laughing doing it <laughs> which I think is fantastic it's you know because I often use this expression we don't start as expert right and things don't necessarily as we're going out of our comfort zone feel natural to us. And I, my expression is like, go adolescent on it. Nobody wants to as an adult feel adolescent, mm -hmm. but you know, we have to be a little bit awkward at the beginning to get muscle memory, right. To, to have a new felt sense of something that we don't yet know. Um, and I think that's courage, the willingness to be like, I, I'm going to maybe look a little silly and I, <laughs> you know, I don't know how this is going to go. But again, that to me is the safety net of the monogamy and the committed relationship is I can look, I can do things that make me feel silly or foolish or I'm embarrassed or I'm not confident, but I'm stepping into it, right? Because I'm, I'm curious, I'm exploring what this might be like, you know, when I fully own and step into this, you know, way of being. And I feel safe because it's my partner who I love and right. the security's there. Exactly. And, and you know, just recently, um, you know, we're swingers. We have been for so many years, but we've just started exploring a little bit our kinky side. And one of the fun things we like to do is we know nothing about kink and BDSM. We've had experts on our show, but we haven't experienced it. But we'll go on to, um, you know, some of the uh, websites. And there's some um, people out there who have instructional videos. And we sit there and we watch them together and we take out what we have to take out. And sometimes it starts with a blindfold. Sometimes it starts with the kitchen spatula. <laughs> sometimes it starts with the, the, the whisk or, or, yeah. or whatever. And, you know, we've, we've, we've done some stuff that's a little kinky. It's not extreme. And at the beginning, we laugh a little bit. What happened when you had that little pinwheel? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was putting the, using the pinwheel on his chest, and he was using his words. No, that doesn't feel good. I go, oh, but I'm loving it. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't really do it. I still lifted it off. But, yeah. And actually, when we tried the crop for the first time, when I got you in the face by mistake. In the eye, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, sorry, honey. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's all about having fun, right, right Megan? Well, having fun experimenting to your point, we have misses, right? We have those moments where like, you know, and it's just like you put it in the perspective and you put it in the context and it's like we're doing this and we're having fun doing this. And I think that that intentionality and that, um, you know, that openness and the exploration and playfulness, you know, it's everything. That's the aliveness, right, that we're really trying to invite and welcome into our romantic and sexual relationships. 
And I certainly like the fun of planning. Like when we do our one date night, we're talking about a whole evening together where we have no interference, no no phones, no dogs. Well, in that one case, but no kids, no um, TV, anything for the whole evening. Yeah, no but, electronics. But we plan that in advance. And, and that's fun doing the planning part of it. I really like doing that. Where So when we have the kink, which we don't normally have handy or what we're going to do. So the planning part is watching those videos, getting out the, the pieces of equipment that we might need. And and that I find fun also, just the mm-hmm. planning part. I think that's such an important thing because it's that whole idea of like scheduling sex and everyone's like, eh. And I'm like, but you plan a vacation and you don't enjoy that any less, right? right. So again, it's so much mindset. And the reality is when you schedule sex, you're really scheduling sexy time. Mm-hmm. We've prioritized, we've committed. I don't know and you don't know how you're going to feel until you're in that moment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't equal a have to have sex. It means let's see in that moment spontaneously what do we feel up for sort of organically and and that i think is the amazing piece of it right it's like really um creating those opportunities for you know planning and anticipating and enjoying sort of the back and forth of it that i think really creates optimal and peak sexual experiences yeah absolutely and just to sign off on this segment um uh, we always hear the words um couples who play together stay together and I think that, I love that that's definitely appropriate. So we are coming to the end of our show while this hour has just flown by so much, so much information for doc, from Dr. Uh, Megan. So let's just end this segment with some final advice. What would you say are the top two reasons that couples should continuously work on improving their sex life? And how does it benefit other aspect, aspects of their life? Well, I think the research is sort of clear, right? It leads to marital and sexual satisfaction and also from a quality of life perspective, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's so much about our vitality and our aliveness and connection. And as I sort of said, again, with the Harry Met Sally, even though in that case she was faking, it, it's like, I want what she's having. The reality is possible. Like, you guys are a role model. I want to be a role model. Like, helping couples know even 20 plus years into marriage or a committed relationship, whether it's consensual non-monogamy or monogamous or monogamish, right? The point is what's possible. Cause I think so many people, um, you know, the statistic is 20% of marriages are sexless less than 10 times a year. Right. That's a significant percentage. Right. And so I think the whole point is put the energy, the time into, because, you know, being home and enjoying your partner and feeling the anticipation, the aliveness, the fun, the pleasure in your body, like, you know, I guess there's a part of me that says, why wouldn't anybody invest in that, right? Like, yeah. it's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're definitely going to reap the rewards of the effort that you put into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All righty. Dr. Megan Fleming, thanks so much for being here. Um, that was, as always, a very quick hour, and we will have you back on our show uh, sometime next year. Always with great information. Why don't you take a second and tell everyone how they can find you online, social media, your website? Um, again, always love being with you guys. And these are amazing conversations. So my website is greatlifegreatsex.com. And my Instagram is drdr.megan.fleming. And on that is my link tree, which has a lot of amazing things for people to check out, including my nine day pleasure free pleasure challenge. 
Well, and of course, if you missed any of that information, you'll just have to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And you know, like we did today, we're learning more and more every week from all our expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty, the end of another great show. Dr. Megan Fleming, thank you so much for being here. As always, love being here. Anytime. And as we do every week, we thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. And so join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everybody. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.